0: I've now had this kind of found confidence to talk about all of this, because for years I didn't tell anybody that Solomon was an IVF baby, because it was, and it still is obviously a very personal journey, but if I don't talk about it and help other people the way that I would have loved to have had, I'd just love to be able to help others.
1: Well, Jessie, welcome to Brave Bold Brilliant Podcast. So I'm here today with Jessie. Now, Jessie is the founder of Gynae Talks. She's a property investor, a businesswoman, and just bloody amazing thank person you. to be around. It's oh, nice to see you, Jessie. Thank
0: you for having me, Jeanette. It's lovely to see you,
1: as always. <laughs> no, we actually managed to get it in the diary, didn't we? And it yeah. was always a bit of a challenge. But here <laughs> we are in on the edges of wonderful Cardiff. So um, yeah, we're going to have an interesting chat. I think we certainly are. Exactly. So listen, let's start with your journey, Jessie, because okay. I know a little bit About your story but other people might not know so much so take us through how you've ended up where you are today and then we're going to get into some really interesting
0: discussions excellent so back in 2017 I first started investing in myself in regards to property went along to a property event in the March of 2017 and that's where I really started to see how property could work for me as a, a, a woman a mother a wife and not having to be tied to a corporate job anymore. My previous life, my working life was in insurance, um, where I worked for nine, 10 years in the insurance background. And once I started to realize that property could actually work for me and my family, I was like, "It's, it's a no brainer, I need to get educated, I need to really put everything into it. So I went along and did the deal packaging, training in March, of, uh, sorry, in June of 2017, and it's all just rolled from there. So not only had I started my sourcing business, I then became a mentor, so I was mentoring others to do deal packaging. My stomping ground for investment is South Wales, um, obviously where we are today, <laughs> and we cover a lot of areas all the way from Newport, Cardiff, up to the Valleys, and we cover many different strategies. Now over the years I've worked on flips, we've worked with buy refurbish refinance, but now, since around the end of 2019, I started working with vulnerable people. So we house a lot of homeless people, emergency housing for young children under 18 that need one-on-one or two-on-one care. So it's a real feel-good way of investing. So not only are we building our own portfolios and working with landlords and investors, we're actually really helping those that need it most with the housing so that's where i sit on a property side um, further to that as you mentioned i'm the founder of gyny talks and that is a online, online platform for women and also their husbands partners friends family to really understand a lot of gyny issues so i was diagnosed with endometriosis at the end, age of 18. it had taken around four or five years to get to that point so this journey of my medical side has been a long a long journey so now it's time for me to actually really talk about this and help others if there is just one or two other people that I can help then absolutely amazing but I would love to get out to the masses for people to understand not only the symptoms because they're quite hard to pick up but also for friends family partners wives husbands to actually also understand how they can support, but also so they can understand those journeys too, especially with, for example, the fertility side of things and IVF. There's not much support for the women in this scenario, but there's definitely not much support for the guys either. Mm. So Gynae Talks is really there for everybody to talk about their situations, hence Gynae Talks, but also learn more about it and be able to Really understand and connect with others that are going through the same.
1: Yeah, my world is loads. We're going to talk about and what I what what's interesting. I think Jesse is you've kind of got this parallel world of business, entrepreneurship, property investing, but at the same time dealing with some pretty serious health issues as well in a space that isn't necessarily so commonly understood or or really, you know, really known about. Um, So I think it's an interesting sort kind of connection between those, those worlds really. So, We'll talk about the business side um, in, a, in a little while, but in terms of endometriosis, I'll probably even say it wrong myself. <laughs> endometriosis. Osis. Oh, see, I told you. God, I'm a Mancunian, what can I say? Um, but in, in, in terms of that, can you just tell us what it is? it What yeah, is it in the absolutely. first place?
0: absolutely. So endometriosis is a condition where when your womb lining breaks down when you have a period, usually everything kind of flushes out. With this, it's where it breaks down and causes... Clots and cysts around your fallopian tubes, your womb, and actually it can fuse and stick your organs together. So it's been found in the bladder, in the bowel, obviously around your ovaries and fallopian tubes. But also it's it's a sneaky bugger. It can travel all the way up through your body. It's been found in the lung. It's been found in the brain. Wow. And it's like a, a like a sticky substance that really fuses everything together, so it causes so much pain and obviously a lot of issues in terms of ovulating, it can cause problems with fertility as I mentioned. So endometriosis in a whole is a bit of a bit true really. <laughs> um, and it's very hard to diagnose. So a lot of women will present to the doctors if they finally get through and, and manage to get an appointment and a lot of the time it's, it's looked at as or it's just a bad period, or it's just period cramps, or quite often it's misdiagnosed as IBS because they're very similar symptoms that you have. So in order to actually diagnose the condition, you have to have a, laparoscope, a laparoscopic, <laughs> <laughs> see, but like a laparoscopic operation, which is keyhole operation where the cameras go in and can actually have a good look around because it's not picked up on a scan, on a normal ultrasound. It's not picked up through MRI scans. So it is very hard to diagnose mm. those conditions. And obviously, you know, with my journey, I think I'd been in and out of the doctors, like I said, for about three or four years before they actually decided to do that first operation to actually say, this is definitely what it is and move it. Mm. So I had the first operation, I was around 19. And now 10 operations deep, because unfortunately, it's a reoccurring condition. It's not something that can be taken away, and it's not going to grow back, because it's hormone-related and hormone-based. It's always just splitting back and, and growing again. So I think around six to eight months after the first operation I had, I was feeling so much better, had more energy, and then I started getting those niggling feelings again, like I know it. I know these feelings, I know this pain, and it came back again. So I was in a bit of a vicious cycle for about eight years of consistently starting to feel better after the operation, and then six, eight, nine months later, it all coming back again. And that's just where it started growing back and now obviously it's grown back on scar tissue as well which makes it even harder and obviously the pain is quite a lot worse because it's not bedding on kind of smoother surfaces it's embedding on um on your scar tissue so yeah i'm now 10 operations deep wow um i had my last operation probably about three years ago now and at that point things, things things settle down quite a bit and then when it started all coming back i probably had about a year of respite (coughs) on the last operation and this time it's come back it's so much worse so now we kind of jump forward a bit further but i'm now in medical menopause because the first help they like to try and get the coil to help because that helps you know on a longer term with the hormone imbalances I didn't find that that worked. I kind of gave in after years ago, and I don't really want that to, okay, let's try it. If you're telling me it's going to, you know, 95% of people actually, or women actually, have a really good result with that. For me, it didn't work. From the moment it went in to the moment I begged the doctor to take it back out, it didn't, it had kind of the opposite effect. It made it worse for me. So when I saw a new specialist (coughs) then, the best option was to trial, a medical menopause before I go down the route of having a hysterectomy. Which when I first started my treatment, which was about eighteen months ago now, I was thirty-three, nearly thirty-four, thinking, Wow, I'm gonna go through having a hysterectomy at this age. What a thing to have to mentally compute, let alone physically. So the treatment I've been having since December twenty twenty is it's working, it's doing really well, it's it's keeping the pain at bay, which is fantastic. I don't think I've had a period like this since I was well, pre-18 when I was diagnosed, where I haven't been in pain at the time. So that's amazing. The pain side has subsided, but what comes with that is the menopause symptoms. Yeah, which yeah. <laughs> is a uh, tell absolute me about delight. yeah Um so yeah so now I'm I'm in that cycle we're looking at my next specialist appointment is in June and that's when we make the decision of when is the hysterectomy happening because the specialist and I are both happy with how that treatment's going we know that by going into a medical menopause it turns off your ovaries it turns off those hormones and that's working So now we know that actually by having the hysterectomy, that will have exactly the same effect as what I'm having with the treatment. Some people would say, well, why can't you just stay on the treatment that you're having? The treatment that I have initially was on a four weekly cycle and it's a prostap injection, which is the same drug that is given that is injected to. Um, cancer patients that have prostate cancer and forms of breast cancer so actually I've been having cancer treatment since the end of 2020 so that also comes with you know again a minefield of losing hair that you know in patches will will come and go Um, you know feeling very run down very tired I now actually have those injections every third week rather than every fourth week because I was finding that towards that just after about three weeks the pain would start to come back. So as much as it was working, the four week cycle wasn't quite working right for me. So we've gone to a three week cycle. So that's really helping and really working, which is great. But like I say, it comes with a multitude of sins with the menopause symptoms. So you know, night sweats and you know weight up and down, things like that. Just drained of energy. And that's where a lot of people, my mum often says to me, where do you even get your energy from to be running your business and having you know, your house to run and I've got a little boy. Um, how do you do all of this at the same time? And I think it's just from being in such a low space with all of that pain and all of that journey all the way along, that now I'm getting a bit of that respite. As much as it's really difficult, it's still a completely different lease of life to waking up every morning and thinking oh I feel fine today and then you go out for lunch somewhere or you go to work and all of a sudden bam the endometriosis flares up and you're back to square one Mm. you're in pain it's a chronic pain where it's you know some days it can be like a fork stabbing you other days it can just be a dull ache consistently nausea get a lot of that feeling tired and that really impacts on every angle of your life, whether it's working life, home life, you know, when I worked in a corporate job, when I worked in the insurance company, which is my background, often I'd need to take days off sick, which then goes against your record, and that letting other people down is something that you don't want to do. So actually, dealing with endometriosis is not easy. And there's so many women out there that actually have this, the the statistics is actually one in 10 women have endometriosis which is a staggering amount of people, considering not many of us know what that actually is, what that condition is. So to put that into perspective, one in 16 people have diabetes, one in 10 have endometriosis, and we're just accounting the women because it's women that have that. Mm. So you can probably double or triple that in terms of compared to say diabetes that most people know about or have heard about or know somebody who's got it. But with any gynae condition, whether it's endometriosis, whether it's cysts, whether it's menopause, we don't tend to talk about it. As women, as much as people think women actually sit down and nutter about stuff, we don't always talk about that. So that's why it was really important for me to set up gyne talks.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Gosh, it's loads too. So, I mean, Jesse, for someone that, that maybe doesn't know you, um, know your what you've gone through and it's been extreme, you know, ten operations, going through all of this, the physical, the the mental side of it as well, you are incredibly upbeat. You know, I mean we're <laughs> sitting here, you're smiling away, you're talking about stuff that is difficult, really difficult, Ooh. and yet you're doing it with a smile on your face. So yeah. how do you how do you manage that? How do you manage to keep your mood as positive as you can at times like this um but at the same time not shy away from what's really going on as well so yeah, just talk us about about that side because I think a lot of women are probably thinking oh my gosh I just feel lost I'm yeah. I don't know what to do I feel down all the
0: time talk about yeah, the definitely. mental side of it I mean, a bit if you don't mind the mental health side of things is really difficult one day or two days they may feel really great about things and generally i'm quite a positive person i'm quite happy-go-lucky bubbly person um but that does have effect it definitely takes toll and there's days where i will spend the day in bed because i need to or i need to take a rain check on things and that's taken a long time to actually realize that i need to look after me Mm. because for a long time i've always been go 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 don't stop i'm always working either on the business or family or something and I was never really taking any time for me what I find is when I take time for me even whether that's a 30-minute walk in the morning or a quick exercise if I feel like up to it or going swimming or spending time with friends actually that's really important and we've got to allow ourselves to have that time and an understanding that other people are also going through these situations when I am down I, I look back at how far I've come and that's a really easy thing to do but we, we don't tend to do that whether that again is in business or life or or the medical side of things we don't look back and go well actually I'm in a much better place now than I was yes I know there's hardship to come because I know when I have the hysterectomy it's going to you know shake things up again yeah um, which. In one way i'm really looking forward to because i know it's going to be not an end to things because i, I didn't mention but i have h HR, i take hrt every day as well as well as testosterone so that will continue um for the rest of my life but actually it's it's all starting to take shape it's just unfortunately that because it's such an unknown condition and even doctors find it difficult to to navigate around that it takes so long for people to be diagnosed and get that right treatment. Mm. So I think, yeah, just taking a bit more time for me is where I, I gain that strength from, along with now having gynae talks, which is where I'm talking about it more and I'm engaging with others a lot more about their journeys, actually that really helps because we can talk to each other on a level that we understand that others who don't have these conditions wouldn't, as much as people can sympathize and maybe try and understand. It's not the same as speaking to somebody who's also going through the same, or been through the same. I mean, I've always looked at everything, regardless to what situation is. If there's somebody one step in front of you or somebody one step behind you, there's always help in different directions, and that's the way that I like to look at it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's true. I mean, obviously, it's in particularly important when you when you're dealing with a sensitive <coughs> subject like this that yeah. isn't so commonly known. Because where do you go to get information? Okay, you can you know Google can be your best friend, but it's limited. Um, and actually, surrounding yourself with the right people, as we talk about anyway, yeah. but in particular, uh, I think with you know something like this, it's even more important, as you, as you say. Yeah. Um and and just um in terms of in terms of the you said you've got you've got a son, you've got a child. Yeah, I do. Um, can we talk about your journey to yeah. to that as well? Because that's another part, isn't it? That's pretty yeah. um it's gone through a few twists and turns, shall we say, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely to get you. So
0: there. right from the outset of being diagnosed with endometriosis, I, it was quite clear at that point they told me that we would have fertility issues and that to me was devastating i've always wanted to be a mum have a family you know my group i've got two sisters and we're all, we're pretty close as much as we're completely different all three of us but we are quite close i wanted to have that i wanted to you know when when simon and i got married you know the thought was always there that we would have a family Although we knew prior to that that it was going to be difficult, we went through many different options. I was given some medication called Clomid, which is to, to stimulate your ovaries to actually ovulate because I wasn't ovulating for a long time. You're meant to only be on that medication for six month blocks at a time for around two cycles. I was actually on it for about three years. and. You know, it would be ovulation test, ovulation test. Right? Okay. Now, now is the time. It's got to be done. But then, equally, and that I haven't mentioned, but you know, with endometriosis, sex is painful. It's not really a pleasurable thing to want to be doing. So, yeah, we went through lots of, of options with the the clomid, and we saw specialists in the UK for starting to talk about fertility treatment and IVF. And we went to a clinic actually down here in Cardiff, as well as through the NHS. The NHS, unfortunately at the time, weren't offering my age bracket cycles. I could have, because I was 24, 25 at this point, and I was told that I could be put on the waiting list for treatment through the NHS. And I thought, great, you know, we'll we'll look at that option. The only hindrance with that was I would have to wait until I was 30 to be put on the waiting list. Wow, okay. That waiting list at that point was about two to three years, so we were talking around a ten-year gap from then. Mm. Obviously, knowing what we know now, I was already ten operations deep by or nine operations by the time I was thirty. So obviously, that adds multiple layers of scar tissue, etc. So that makes it harder to, you know, retain anyway. So. We decided that we would come to a clinic here in Cardiff and look at private IVF treatment. And we also looked at clinics abroad because, you know, we did so much research and so much due diligence on it all. You know, we looked in America, we looked in Spain, we looked in, there was somewhere else, Croatia, that sort of area. And we ended up going to Turkey in the end. We looked at all of our options. We found a great hospital out there, a great clinic, and we had made that decision to go and have our treatment. We only told a select few people that we were gonna do that. We both told our employers that we needed a break and we needed a holiday, so we were gonna be away for, for three and a half weeks, which was a lot of begging and pleading to have that time off work. Yeah, uh, You know, Simon told his boss, I told my boss, but actually colleagues were like, how have you managed to get three and a half weeks off? We can only get that if you're getting married or something. So it was, you know, it was a tough time. But we'd made our minds up. We'd, we'd done all the research. We had a liaison officer from the hospital that was our interpreter. Um, neither of us speak Turkish. Um, and then five weeks before we were due to fly out and have the treatment, Simon's dad passed away. So obviously that was, you know, a really horrible situation, and we were, you know, although it was expected, unfortunately you know you don't know how it's going to hit you until it happens and we were grieving it was a really hard time but we knew that he would have still wanted us to go go on go go and do it chase that dream yeah so we did and we got out to turkey the first day we were there i was in tears what are we doing here why are we doing this and, you know it's all really unfamiliar we had an apartment block uh, an apartment that the hotel had put us up at uh, the hospital had put us up in so we weren't just in a hotel room for that amount of time we were about a 10 minute walk from the hospital which was great we were met on the steps the first day we arrived by our interpreter and she took us up through this marble led stairs and you know it was quite a grand grand private hospital the reason we chose Turkey at that time i mean Solomon is actually turning 10 this year so we're talking 11 years ago mm their treatment and their processes were far more advanced than the UK. So that's why we kind of shied away from having treatment here to having treatment over there. They could, even 11 years ago, zoom in 10 times more on individual sperm, on your eggs, to make sure that they were creating you know, a pretty perfect embryo, to be fair. Yeah. Um, so that's why we chose that. The treatment was fantastic. We were really well looked after. I would have each morning an internal examination, not overly pleasant, but we knew it had to be done. Yeah. Injections every day, which would be the hormone treatment to, again, turn off my ovaries at that point. The difference between the treatment we had there and IVF here, we had what's called ICSI, which is kind of a next level up, where they, Stimulate the ovaries so you create more eggs in a short amount of time. Now, I didn't understand how this, I kind of knew how the process was going to work. I didn't know how I was going to feel physically or mentally. I didn't know what would happen each and every day going through this three and a half week process. Obviously, I kind of knew that, yeah, you know, they'd have to remove eggs and and they'd create the embryos and, and put them back in. But the Poignant parts of that day five or day six, where you know their company full of all these drugs, and your embryos, oh, sorry, your, your eggs are growing at quite a rapid rate, you could hardly walk. I didn't know that that was going to be a scenario. That it would be just such a drain on you. So, this again is why it's so important to talk about that. Because if I had somebody to say, well, "How did your IVF journey go? What what does it feel like on day eight when they extract your eggs?" or day 12 when they actually put the embryos back in. How does that feel? That just would have lifted a weight off my shoulders in terms of the anxiety around it. Yeah. So yeah, we had our treatment, I, like I say, we were there every morning. We'd go back in the afternoon, so I'd have a blood test in the morning, an internal exam in the morning, and by the afternoon, they would have adjusted the dosage of the three injections I'd have to have. So it was tailored specifically for my body and my needs. So it was completely different to kind of how they do that here in the UK. I know friends of mine that have been through IVF process here, they go and have their initial bloods taken. They're given then the injections to take away home and actually do that themselves. And they're only checked in on once or twice during that journey until the eggs are extracted. Whereas my process was pretty different in the fact that it was a lot more more intimate, (laughs) a lot more intensive. But actually it was so much better for us once i got to that end stage where they'd operated and removed the eggs we waited five days for the embryos to grow they um yeah they made the embryos and we chose to have three put back in so out of the 10 eggs that i had removed they were all fertilized six of those took so there were six embryos Mm. And out of those six, three of them were strong enough to be back implanted. And once, when they were implanted, it was the most surreal scenario I've ever felt. So I was awake, and you have your sonogram screen, as if you know when you're having a um, a scan. And there you could see, you know, my uterus. There was nothing in there, and then all of a sudden, there was these two little dots that just were on the screen, and that was it. I was like. There are my babies. They're there. Such a surreal scenario yeah, to yeah. see a blank screen to then have two little dots that were there that I was now to nest and house and look after. And then it was the longest twelve days I think I've ever had because it was twelve days later than you could take your pregnancy test and see whether, you know, it's actually worked. Mm. That morning was, yeah, very nerve-wracking, to say the least, and yeah, super happy, obviously I I had fallen pregnant and it it had worked, which was, yeah, unbelievable experience all the way through until that point. About six weeks into being pregnant, I was at work in my insurance job, I'd been off on a break, grabbed a cup of tea, popped to the new, and noticed bleeding. And at that point, my heart just yeah. sank. And I don't know whether, you know, you've ever been in a kind of corporate job and you've, you know, I was in an insurance company, so yeah. you had our headsets on, and you know, you had to check into the phone, and you were monitored all the time what you were doing. I just walked back from my break, I didn't speak to anyone, literally just turned the computer off on the back of the screen, which you shouldn't do, you should close it down properly, I and I just problem. walked out. And my boss is would me going, what are you doing? Luckily, she knew. Obviously we have been to have our treatment, and I was like, I'm bleeding, I don't know what to do, I, I just have to go, and um, spoke to the doctors, and they got me in for a scan a couple of days later, so I had to wait three or four days at that point to know what was going on, and unfortunately I lost one of the, the embryos, so one of the, the twins that were there. Um, I always joke with Solomon that he kicked the other one out, because he's quite <laughs> tall like his dad, so <laughs> he kicked the other one out. So. You know that was a heartbreaking moment, yeah. and but also a relief—a relief that there was still one baby there. So, yeah. And then the pregnancy was a bit up and down, and now, like I say, he's nearly ten, wow. going on twenty. Oh my God! Yeah, soon he'll
1: be like you know, a teenager
0: with everything oh, that comes. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> yeah. So it's been—it's been a journey to say the least, an absolute journey.
1: And, you know, like I said, I think one of the things as you were talking for me was around awareness of of what to expect, Mm. and, you know, like you say, you had a bit of an idea, but not really a full idea as to what to expect at each stage of that journey, probably similar to your, you know, endometriosis sort of journey as well, you know, what to expect, what does it feel like, you know, how are you going to feel, all that kind of stuff, Um, and I think, you know, that loops back in nicely, doesn't it, to, to gynae talks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, presumably, because that then, you know, is a is a vehicle, isn't it, to actually yeah. say to other women, "Well, listen, this was my experience. Yours will probably be very different." Yeah. However, don't be surprised if, if yeah. this is how you feel or this is what you how it manifests for you, etc. So, talk about Gani Talks in a bit more because this is such
0: a a rich resource to help people. Yeah, absolutely. Gani Talks is those things that that you've just said is sharing experiences. It's not a closed forum where it's only one way where I post content. I do post a lot of content about how you may feel, the triggers, the symptoms to look out for, how maybe I'm feeling on a daily basis, but I include that as an open conversation with people and I've got lots of different women that are sharing their journeys. Some are just starting. Um, One lady actually last week had had another operation so obviously we were all there to support her. I've never met these ladies and it's absolutely unbelievable that we have this bond and that's where we welcome as many women, men, family and friends to to come on board and follow our page and follow the progress. The thing that's really helped me is journaling. So almost from the very start when I realised that the doctors weren't that well, they weren't listening to me, but they weren't comprehending exactly what I was going through. I diarised everything. So, I don't know, 12 o'clock on Tuesday, pain in the left-hand ovary. And maybe the next day, OK, today I've just eaten my lunch and I've had a sandwich and, and now I feel really bloated. Mm. So all of those things I've always jotted down. So what we've actually created with Gany Talks is not only is it a, a great platform to connect and, and the community there, but we have an online journal. So I used to write everything down. I'm quite old-fashioned. I love to write things down in my in notebooks. <laughs> I think I've got more notebooks in the library, so I have this little case that I carry around with me. But I've now got an online journal that you can download, and you can have it on your phone. You can have it on your laptop. You can have it on your iPad. But actually, you've got that with you at all times, so even if you forget your notebook, which often I would, you're not thinking back, right, yesterday, how did I feel then? Mm -hmm. You can fill that in straight away, this is how I felt today. The journal is great, it's got your symptoms tracker, so you can actually get a hold of what your symptoms are and what your triggers are, because your symptoms are one thing, how you're feeling Mm -hmm. mentally, physically but your triggers are so important. It could be, like I said, something that you eat or something that you've done, whether you've been out for a long walk or whether it's you've just been sat in a certain position and then something happens. You can note all of this down in your journal and you can take that with you. When you see your specialist, when you see a doctor, you've got that information there, you can download that information and email it to them for goodness sake. It just makes things so much easier. So that's something that I've created and is available through Gynae Talks online. We actually have it on our Etsy page as well. I'm also in the process of creating an endometriosis pathway. So this will be a, not a course, but a pathway of everything from the start of, identifying symptoms do they match with what is happening through to how the diagnosis works through to how potential treatment works what the different options are there all the way through to again documenting that journey and a support so the endometriosis pathway should hopefully be launched in mid April so that will be an option for um, for for people to have and I'm also working on which will probably come a little bit later an IVF journey pathway and a menopause pathway so I kind of wear three different hats in this whole journey <laughs> yeah so we, yeah that's what I'm creating at the moment which I think is going to help so many people
1: oh god definitely 100% and so how can people actually find how can they
0: sign up how can they get involved so at the moment we <coughs> are Dot Talks on Facebook and on Instagram, so that's where most of all of our content and our community stuff is. In order, at the moment, to to buy the journal, that's on Etsy, and I can share a link with you. That's yes. not a problem. And we're also going to be launching the the pathways probably through Etsy as well as a direct page that we're working on. So that's all kind of in the in the process, which is exciting, and I'm just really pleased that. I've now had this kind of found confidence to talk about all of this because for years I didn't tell anybody that Solomon was an IVF baby because it was, and it still is obviously a very personal journey, but if I don't talk about it and help other people the way that I would have loved to have had that information and that just somebody to talk to about how I was feeling and what was going on. That I can see is my purpose to be able to. My purpose of going through the journey myself, but actually, I'd just love to be able to help others going through all of these situations so they don't feel alone. And I had so many times where, you know, I'd I'd walk down into town or I'd be at the supermarket and I'd see friends or people that I'd knew from school and I'm like how is it fair that they've got three children and you know I'm really struggling here or you know as much as I was pleased for them they're growing their own families but that there was a bit of you know jealousy there and that would really bring me back into a downward spiral of why me Why, why is it me that's going through this and I didn't really have anyone to to express that to obviously I had my family and my friends but I didn't have anyone that understood on that level so this is why I'm talking about all of this and why I want as many people as possible to, to come along and join the community for sure.
1: Yeah, well I think it's brilliant what you're doing it really is and and you know, as I say you're such a bubbly, you know positive uh, person and I think that's, that's it's testament to you that you've been through so much but you're still here you're smiling and actually <laughs> now you're putting yourself out to the world to do good for others yeah. and I think that is absolutely tremendous, it oh, really is so honestly you're, you. you're doing such an amazing things and talk about leaving you know, a legacy, leaving a mark you know, yes you've got Solomon and you've got everything You're doing with the business, but I think it's like dropping a pebble in a pond, you know, and and the ripple effect, you know, not just the individual women, but their partners, their families, their friends, you know. Actually, you you end up reaching not hundreds of people, but thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially millions over time, Um, and that's a really special thing to to be able to do for sure. Absolutely,
0: and that that is the aim is like you just said that ripple effect. I think is is absolutely nailed it on the head of exactly how this hopefully will will work out. I mean, I did a, a talk at a networking event a month or so ago, all about gynae talks and talking a lot more about endometriosis and kind of the finer points of that. And after one of the ladies came up to me and was like, I've had those symptoms for quite some time. And funnily enough, so is my daughter. So they've actually now, booked and going to go and see the doctor, which is great, you know, from talking to one group of people, which was a mixture of men and women, which Mm. is absolutely fine, but even one person out of that has actually now thought a little bit more about how they've been feeling and matching those symptoms to what I was talking about, and they've gone, oh, that could be me, I could be one of those one in ten, because it is that common, Mm. and that's what, you know, that's amazing that I've been able to at least help one person already without yeah. even you know speaking to millions and millions of people so that's been great yeah absolutely and and you make a really good
1: point i, I just want to talk about the male perspective because of course you know as a woman you've gone through this you, you know physically that's a, that's a burden a, a challenge that you, ha- you you can't get away you you're the one dealing with the physical yeah. side of it but you know for if you've got a partner you know male or female actually yeah. um You've got friends and family around you that are feeling it too. And I think very often it's probably hard for guys, harder in a way, because, yes, you, you said at the beginning that us women, we don't always talk about stuff. And we don't, you're right, but we're probably a bit more likely to talk about things than men are, I oh, think, absolutely, I, mean, I am yeah. generalising <laughs> I am generalising. But um, I think it is, it is difficult for, for men to, to sort of know how to express themselves. What questions to ask? Do I get it wrong? Oh, my gosh, how do I navigate through this sensitive area? So how... So with your husband, yeah. Simon, yeah. Um, how was it for him on the, on the journey? I mean, obviously, if I had the chance to ask him, I would ask him. Maybe we have Simon on, actually, <laughs> on another episode. But, yeah, how, how did it manifest the Simon through this? Because he must have been terribly worried about you, but at the same time probably, you know, treading on eggshells, what do I do? Oh, my God, do we get it right? How do we get it? You, you know, it yeah. must be difficult. And then absolutely. we can talk about how Gyme Talks also helps other men.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, for him, he was oh absolutely amazing through the whole through the whole journey. Yeah being there, supportive, trying to understand as much as he could what I was going through, definitely through the early stages of the diagnosis of endometriosis and then going through operations and taking me to the hospital and, and dropping me off for operations and then coming in and seeing me after, you know, all in your gown and all of that stuff. And then You know, all the way through, he was very supportive and we had lots of conversations where I would be having a breakdown of the why me, why is it us, why is it me that's going through all of this. I felt like a failure in a way. I mean, you know, it it was our choice that we wanted to have children, not everybody wants to have children. But that was a big, big thing for me and also a big, a big thing for him. So we had to navigate that together. And like you say, you know, we do talk a little bit more, maybe as women, but he didn't really talk to anyone about it because it was ours. It was very, you know, it's a very intimate thing that you talk about. And then, you know, we, we go through the IVF journey and the same, because neither of us really spoke to anyone about it. You know, I, I had my mum to talk to and my sisters and things, but he didn't really talk to many people about it. One, because we were a bit superstitious about, is it going to work? Um, and let's kind of keep it under wraps until we know. But equally, there's so much that A partner goes through not only that support and guidance the nights of the person going through it crying on them or being in pain they've actually got to watch you in that pain and support you so there's a lot that actually men don't get credit for and they absolutely should have credit for being there that pillar of support the the other side of it with the men's side I suppose with the IVF journey and the fertility journey is, you know, realistically, they're there for one thing, yeah, and that is to go in the wanking room. Yeah. Oh, I love it. We talked about this before. We <laughs> did. And that's, I mean, let's not make let's make light of it. That's essentially what they need to do. They need to produce their best, their best, mom. and that's a pressure. That is an absolute pressure. And that that is something that we, Simon and I we do joke about it. Yeah. And that's you know i am quite light-hearted and bubbly and that's that's the way i want men to be able to talk about it you need to talk about what you do when you go in that room and the pressure that's on you and how you feel about it because the more that men talk to other men about it that are going through the same or have been through it it makes it easier to comprehend that oh god i've got to go in this room and you know do my best yes. <laughs> the biggest test go yeah and um, i think that's why yeah it's important for men to also talk about it and and have that support from other guys mm. that are also going through this the same with same-sex couples whether it's surrogacy or along those lines it's really important as you said it's not just a husband and wife it could be two husbands it could be two wives that are mm. going through all of this together and that's exactly why again that i want to make this widespread that it's not just focused on and gynae talks isn't just focused on women it's actually The male perspective Mm. or it's the partner's perspective. You know, if you're a lesbian couple and you're deciding to go through IVF through a donor, there's so many decisions to be made. Which partner is going to carry the child? Even if you are two guys that are, you know, wanting to have a family and you're going through surrogacy and you're not using a donor, which one of you goes in the wanking room Yeah, let's talk about that let's have those open conversations and support each other through that there's a lot to navigate that people don't realise no you're right and and actually what you're doing I suppose is you're normalising
1: the conversation aren't you instead of making it some kind of dirty secret you're normalising it and you're using humour to lighten what is a serious situation but to lighten the mood because you know laughter is the best medicine they say absolutely and we're
0: all human exactly yeah to try
1: and not all Always take things too seriously yeah. when you can, you know, just sort of... Because otherwise, it's pressure, 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 isn't it? All Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. It's massive
0: pressure on everything. So it's not to laugh about it. No, it's but... not to, you know, to humiliate... Humiliation on people. It's actually to talk about it openly and we can have a giggle about it you know when we talk about you know if you're gonna have your smear test like oh god you've got to go and have that done and you know out comes the lamp and all of this but why not talk about it that's what you know it's important for you know even on smears a lot of young women decide not to go and have them done and you know, yes, it's all you know. Usually, quite a private area, but sometimes you've got to you've got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like like the Kimbo. Yeah. <laughs> and what what does make me laugh just on that is I don't know whether you're you're the same, but a lot of women that I've to are the same. You've got to have a smear test, or you're at the you know at the gynaecology unit, and you're you're with the specialist, and they're like, right, you've got to take you know your trousers and your underwear off, just pop them on the chair why do we always hide down knickers? <laughs> why do we do that? Yes. Because, you know, they're, d- they're having to dig around. They don't really caring what knickers you add on. <laughs> isn't that true? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs>
1: Are you going to have a mammogram and you can not have your boob squashed yeah. really painfully between two plates of glass?
0: But you hide your brow under yeah. your top. Why do we do that?
1: It's bizarre, isn't it? Absolutely bizarre. But, you know, I mean, I think it's brilliant. And, and the, the, before we get to the end of the, of the kind of few questions yeah. I've got, I just want to touch on, through all of this... You've also established a very successful property business. You've become yeah. an entrepreneur. You came out of corporate to become your own boss. At the same, so that in itself is a big, is a big change. Oh, yeah. Um, but as well as navigating through all this medical stuff at the same time. So what are the things, And you know, there may be other women listening that are thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm really struggling as how can I move my career forward? How can I start my business? How can I still actually make progress in that area whilst I am dealing with all of this and, and it is you know, quite debilitating at yeah. times for yeah. you, isn't it? So, do you want to just talk a little bit about that and, uh, and then we can just sort of put that into context for people?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think when I decided that I wanted to, to be more entrepreneurial and have my own business and work for myself, part of that catalyst was because I was struggling with work. You know, as I mentioned before, struggling with, you know, you might be at work and then something happens and you have a flare up and you you have to go home. You feel guilty because your boss or whoever it is is like, oh, God, she's off sick again. and You've got to keep ringing in. And actually, I wanted to build a business that could work around my conditions and how I could say, actually, you know, maybe every other Friday I'm going to take the day off. Or if I'm not feeling right, I can just put things to the side for a little bit. And I always had that thought in my mind when I was setting the business up. And Solomon was actually only three at the time. Mm. So when I was first setting up my deal packaging company, he was three, he was at nursery three times a week between nine and three. Simon was working four times. So I literally had three days a week to work on the business. And that I knew that that was my focus time. The rest of the time was me time, family time. So navigating around the illness and the conditions actually works really well when you're building a business. Yes, I've had to miss, miss meetings or cancel things and cancel plans sometimes, but I'm much more open and honest about it now. Whereas before I think I'd shy away and just be like, oh, I'm, I've just you know got a sickness bug or something. Whereas I talk more about it openly and people can understand why you've had to cancel a meeting or those sorts of things. So that's why I've always just had that balance to not constantly be go 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 as much as we all want want to be and need to be to build a business it's actually great to have that level playing field of you're in control of when and how you work Mm. so that's I think a, a good way to look at it.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I, I hadn't thought of that actually, but you're right, you know, it's not easy being your own boss, but you, you definitely call the shots to, yes. not, not completely, yeah. but to the vast majority, whereas when you are in a job, it's it's more difficult to do that mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, what I really love about what you just said there, Jessie, is, it, is around almost creating a life by design, yes. you know, that fits in with other things you've got going on so in your situation, obviously it's been navigating through the whole medical side and the IVS and, and, and everything you've Gone through for other women or for other men, it might be something else that they're yeah, navigating absolutely. through. So you know, it is a great joy because we only have one life. We don't know how long yes. we're going to be here. Any of us do is So actually, to, to create something that's going to give you joy, fit with what your overall life purpose yeah. and, and everything else, I think is absolutely the right thing to, to be. And then the other thing that I absolutely love about you is, you know, there's a saying about be the change you want to see. And that's exactly what you're doing. You know, you are saying you never used to talk about stuff yeah. like that, whereas now you do. So if you want people to be open, you have to lead by by doing that yourself, yeah, don't you? absolutely. And, and I think that's incredible, actually, what you're doing yeah. there. And I think it's inspirational for other women and, and guys listening as well.
0: So. Thank you. And I do, I have a plaque at home that says, don't be afraid of change, be afraid of not changing. And <gasps> that, that is something I always live by. So, yeah, don't be afraid of... I don't be afraid of changing. Be afraid of not changing.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love that. That is yeah. fantastic. Great mm-hmm. advice. So, listen, I mean, we could chat for hours and hours. We, <laughs> might, sure have, we, we might have to get Simon on, actually, to get the male perspective. Yeah. That would be interesting, That would be actually. interesting. We should line that up. Simon, watch out. Watch out. We're coming for you. Um, but, yeah, on, on, when you look back, I mean, you'll have had loads of advice over the years, whether it's personal advice, business yeah. advice, whatever, medical advice. Can you think of the best piece of advice that you've had or a really good piece that sort of Stayed with you for a long time maybe.
0: Yeah, as you say, lots of great advice um, throughout the years, whether that be personal, medical, life or, yeah. <laughs> or business. And I think the best, the best bit of advice is always be true to you. Always be true to who you are, what you're wanting to do, who you're wanting to serve and that will come back to you as well. So yeah, always be true to you.
1: Fabulous. No, that's brilliant advice. And can you think of any bad advice, Jesse, that you've had that you either wish you hadn't taken or maybe you took and you thought... Or maybe you ignored it, actually, because you thought
0: it was actually not going to do that. I think when I first started out in business and I got that that really good momentum going, there were were a few people trying to infringe on what I was doing and wanting to potentially help the situation or want me to grow with them and they could see see you know what I could bring to the table but advice isn't always the the greatest but what I would say is just always go with your gut instinct and that I find you know I've made mistakes along the way and always follow your intuition for sure and that is something that somebody said to me quite early doors is always follow your own intuition if you don't feel like something's right it's probably not
1: yeah so yeah. yeah
0: always follow follow your heart and follow your gut feelings yeah
1: no i think that's a good that's a good shout out and the podcast is called brave bold brilliant jesse as you know and you
0: clearly you are (laughs) otherwise you would not be here Uh, what does that mean to you oh wow it means just be authentically you absolutely you know i can go from being with A group of people that used to work for me, for example, my clean team, and they're quite different types of people to me. So I, you know, can adapt my surroundings and and be out with them um, locally, whereas I can also be, you know, in a very high, nice high-flying restaurant or um, hotel in London and it's just adapt into your surroundings and actually just be authentically you. You can wear all of those hats. You just need to be your own personality and don't feel like you have to change for other people and have that misconception of yourself. So definitely authentically you is brave, bold and brilliant.
1: Oh, fantastic. I love it. What a way to <laughs> end the podcast. Thank you so much, Jessie. You have been Absolutely a
0: star. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah.